That was a blessing. You get that extra note every time? That's awesome. <laughs> uh, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes it just seems like in the stillness of a song like that, you just kind of get a stronger sense that the Holy Spirit is trying to show us something. And uh, Brother Joe wasn't really sure he was going to sing that today, and uh, I'm glad he did. I'm glad he did. Um, and here at New Heights Baptist Church, we're not, um, you know, we're not about exalting talent. Um, and please understand, if not everybody joins in clapping, it's not because they don't think someone did a good job. Uh, it's simply because we want to say amen and give the glory to God. Amen. But having said that, I do want to say that um, it, is a, it is a blessing when you have a song like that and it makes you think, how long has it been? How long has it been since you've knelt your bed and you just stood, you just sat there for a while and you talked to God and you got lost in it? All right, let me ask you this question, and I don't, I don't mean to be too preachy and, and by way of introduction, but how long has it been since you, like, spent an hour doing this and you go, oh my goodness, what happened to the time? So how long has it been since you've been on your knees for an hour? How long has it been since you've been in your Bible for an hour and lost track of time? You see, when you first got saved, you couldn't put the book down, you couldn't quit talking about Jesus, and then you learned some things, and you realize that life isn't perfect, and, and you kind of lost some of that, that joy, if I could say it this way, you lost some of your happiness along the way. And Christian, what I want to talk to you about today is why aren't you happy? Why aren't you happy? Now, if you're smiling, like, Pastor, look, I'm smiling. <laughs> I am happy. Well, praise God. I'm glad for that. Uh, but uh, I, I want to I speak on a more consistent basis in regards to why it is that so many Christians simply are not happy. Look at John chapter 13, and I'll ask you to stand with me. John chapter 13. By the way, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this as well. Uh, we've, we have, uh, we're on the lease for this space until next March at least. And uh, I told Brother James I want to do the best we can. Uh, he takes care of the stuff around here in the building and and I don't know if you've noticed, but the song specials are a little bit more clear now. We got some new speakers, and hopefully that's, that, I know for me, it's helped me immensely be able to hear when people are singing. So I want to say thank God for that. Thank you for giving faithfully so we can do that. And thank you, Brother James, for climbing up there and putting those up. I appreciate it. John 13, look at verse number 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. What a great testimony. And supper being ended, the devil having now put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, and, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured, poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. He says it another way to Peter at one point. He says, When thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Uh, they had not yet reached their conversion point. They were following Jesus for three and a half years, but the new birth had not been given. The Holy Spirit was not yet inside of them permanently. And he's telling them, look, you're not going to understand everything I'm doing now, but on the other side of the cross, which is where we are right now, 
we should get the picture. And the picture is, even though he is the leader, he is serving them. Great pattern for life. You want to be a good leader, husband? Serve your wife. Uh, uh, Preachers, anyone that's called a preacher, you want to be a good leader? Serve your people. You want to be a good boss at work, a good manager? Serve your team. You know what? You know, the, the corporate world spends billions of dollars to teach you what's in John chapter 13. John 13, look if you would at verse number 9. Uh, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, <laughs> but also my hands and my head. He went from one extreme to the other. He goes, ah, you shouldn't be washing me. And the Lord told, told him in verse 8, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. He's like, then get everything. Get all of it. Amen. And you as a child of God, that's how you should approach the Lord today. Lord, get all of me. <laughs> I want you to get all of me. Cover me. Jesus said to him, verse 10, He that is washed need not to save wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. Talking about Judas. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, ye are not all clean. Now, he's doing a physical cleaning to show a spiritual lesson. You got to get a hold of that. So after he had washed their feet and taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, Know ye what I have done to you? They had no idea, really. You call me master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, Happy are ye. Is that where it stops? No. If you know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. If ye do them. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Brother Joe, if you would ask God's blessing on what we're going to look at. Amen. Amen. Be seated. Notice that Jesus Christ says there's a condition on happiness. And I just want to say this morning that if you are a born again child of God, you ought to be happy. That, that is something that I want to say emphatically right now. You should be happy if you're saved. I mean, if you're saved, and you're trying to get someone else saved. and You're like, please come join me as I follow Jesus in this miserable life. I don't think they're going to want to follow you. He says, happy are ye if you do them. All right, so let me just say this much. I'm going to ask you several times throughout this morning, are you happy? Are you happy? Because he says, happy are ye talking to his disciples. Now, in this chapter, what you have is you have the Lord giving them an example at the Last Supper. And at the Last Supper, he says, look, I've given you an example of how you ought to live your life. If you want to be happy, don't make it all about you. (laughs) 
And what you have here is the disciples are sitting down, they're waiting for someone to get up and, and keep the custom of washing the feet. And rather than anyone else saying, I'll humble myself, you sit down, I'll take care of it. They're all sitting around looking around going, who wants to be first? Because I'm not a servant. I mean, you ought to be serving me. Remember that argument we had about who's the greatest? You're the one that kicked that one off. It wasn't me. So you ought to get up and wash my feet. Everyone's looking around doing that. And all of a sudden, Jesus just says, you know what? Boys, I've got it. And he pushes himself away from the table, and he pours some water in a basin, and he takes a towel, and he girds himself, and he goes and he starts washing their feet, and the room turns silent. And they're all looking around going, why is he doing it? You know what the answer is? Because nobody else wanted to. And you here you have the people that follow Jesus Christ more closely than anyone else on the earth up to this point for three and a half years. And they watched his life, and they watched his joy, and they watched his happiness. And here they are squabbling about who's the greatest. We'll look at that in a moment. And they're not happy. And Jesus Christ goes, you want to be happy? Live like me. And starting in chapter 13 all the way through chapter 17, there are some profound statements that are made. In chapter 13 of uh, uh, the Lord, the Last Supper here, and the example that he gives them. Uh, look, if you would, at verse number 15. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. And it's not a matter of, hey, after church, we're all going to wash everybody's feet. Don't worry about that. We will not be instituting that. You don't have to take your socks off or anything like that. All right? But what I am saying is there's a spiritual lesson in what Jesus Christ did to express what his joy was in this life. He got joy from serving others. Imagine that. You know why some people aren't happy? Because they don't serve others. Everything is about them and about my feelings and how come you didn't come. The, the Pharisees, you know why they weren't happy? Uh, they weren't happy. Jesus Christ likens them to a generation of children that go into the marketplace and say, we have piped, but you didn't dance. Basically, hey, we're supposed to be the center of attention. Jesus is like, no, as long as you're the center, you're never happy. So let me ask you, are you happy? From John 13 to John 17, there are all these different uh, passages where deep truths are found. I want to go through some of the chapters with you. Look at chapter 14, and look, if you would, at verse number 1 and verse 2. Let not your heart be... By the way, this is all one conversation, one long uh, day from chapter 13 to chapter 17, uh, one long night of conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so... I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Aren't you glad for that? That's a good promise. Look at that if you would at verse number five. Uh, Thomas asked him, uh, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Profound truths found in this conversation. Look at chapter number 15. Chapter 15, look if you would. At verse number five, chapter 15, verse five, I am the vine. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He is the vine. I am the vine. Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me. You want to know why you don't bear fruit sometimes? It's not because you're not saved. I would say most everybody in this room, as far as I know, is saved. If you're not saved, we invite you to get saved today. It's a free gift. It'll take 10 minutes of your time. and It'll change your eternity. What a blessing. Amen. 
However, if you're saved, and I think most of you are, the reason you don't bear fruit is not because you're not saved. A lot of churches will cause you to doubt your salvation when you're not living right, and there's no fruit in your life. But that's not what he says. It's about abiding in him. It's about fellowship with Jesus Christ. When you don't fellowship with him, you don't bear fruit. Look at verse 5. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do what? But chapter 15 gives us a great truth about the fact that without him we can't do anything. Look at verse 13 in the same chapter. Great truth as well. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Amazing truths all throughout these, these passages. Look at chapter number 16, talking about the Holy Spirit. Chapter 16, look down if you would at verse 13. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you. And aren't you, aren't you glad you have the witness of God through the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you? Isn't that a blessing? That wherever you go, God goes with you? I'm a child of the 80s, and I remember my buddy my buddy, wherever I go, he, go- remember that? Anybody up? Please don't make, don't, hey, thank you. All right, some of you are hanging out to drive like, I don't know what your problem is. I don't know what you're talking about. It was a real thing. Look it up, all right? Do your research, all right? My buddy, all right? You know what the Holy Spirit is? He's better than that because you don't have to buy him. He's giving you for free and he goes with you everywhere you go. And you've got that truth right there in John chapter 16. He'll lead and guide you in all truth. Uh, look at chapter 17. This is all, by the way, this is all in one night that Jesus says all these things. John 17, look if you would at verse 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Your thoughts, nope. Your opinion, nope. Your custom, nope. Your culture, nope. The way you were raised, nope. Thy word is truth. You want truth? You want to be cleaned up? Then let God's word speak to you. But here's what I want you to understand. From chapter 13 all the way through the end of chapter 17, it's all one night's event where Jesus is talking either to his disciples or to God the Father on the behalf of his disciples. And and the reason he's taking all this time is this is, as we learned in Sunday school, this is where John will highlight certain things that the other gospels don't. John takes four chapters to talk about one night. You say, what is this? This is the last night Jesus had with his disciples before he was crucified. And in all of that conversation, he talks about the Holy Spirit. He talks about heaven. He talks about comfort. He talks about fellowship. And let me remind you, back in chapter 13, he tells them, happy are ye. Why? He knew they were going to face some trouble. He's trying to give them some last thoughts before he goes to the Father. And in going, he tells them, hey, I want you to live out my joy in this life. This world needs more happiness. And they don't got it, and they're looking for it in the wrong places. You guys are the reflection of my life. You disciples are the reflection of my legacy, says Jesus Christ. And if you're not happy, they won't know where to find joy in this life. Happy are ye if you do them. I've been around some Christians that kind of think, you know, it's kind of a... A spiritual thing to walk around looking like you're miserable all the time. Kind of like a monk in a monastery. And you, you know, just walk around. How you doing, brother? Oh, under the circumstances, I'm fine. <laughs> all right. Well, let me just tell you, there's a re- listen to me very carefully. There's a reason why a lot of young people are attracted to the world and you know why they're attracted to the world? Because even though what they're doing is stupid, they're having a good time. You've got truth and you're miserable. Do you see why they're going in that direction? 
I don't want my kids to grow up and say, you know what? I, want, I, I got saved when I was young, but because of how mom and dad lived out their life, I'm just not going to live out the Christian life because it's miserable serving God. That is not what God desires for your life. Are you happy this morning? Are you happy? Happy are ye if you do them. Can I say this? Happiness is a Bible thing. Now, now, when I first started in ministry, I used to make this strong like delineation between happiness and joy. I used to say, well, happiness is temporary, and then joy is like the spiritual thing. But the more I studied the Bible, the more I realized that's not exactly true. Listen to this. Psalm 144, verse 15. Happy is that people that in such a case, yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. Is your God the true Lord? Well, if your God's the real God, you ought to be happy. <laughs> How about this? Happy is the man that findeth wisdom. And all the ladies are like, that's why the man ain't happy, because they ain't going to find no wisdom. <laughs> happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. This is what it says about wisdom in Proverbs. She is a tree of light to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is everyone that retaineth her. I read this in Psalms. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. Talking about children. It doesn't say happy is the wife because she's got to bear all those children. Are you with me? All right. Happy is the man. All right. Now, listen, listen. Not happy is the mom. Happy is the man. That's a joke. You can lighten up. All right, ladies. I know it's hard having children. I get it. All right. How about this? But and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. You believe that? How about this one? If you be reproached for the name of Christ. Well, they rejected me. They, they unfriended me. They blocked me on Instagram. I've had teenagers block me. I'm like, you know, I'm not in high school, right? Like, I'm not here to approve or disapprove what you're doing. You've got parents. I'll love you no matter what. You know, that's like the biggest thing today. I got blocked. Oh, you haven't gotten blocked from your relationship with God. Smile, man. Do thyself no harm. All right? We are all here. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. Joy, listen to me, is defined as the passion or emotion excited by the acquisition or expectation of good. Has God not been good to you? <laughs> then there ought to be joy. Then there ought to be joy. And let me just say this. The more I study the Bible, here's what I come up with. It's not this dichotomy between happiness and joy. As much as happiness is the outward manifestation of the inward fruit of the Spirit of joy in your life. If you're a child of God, you should be happy. I'm not saying that you would be fake and that things are always going to go your way or that there isn't tragedy. There's not moments of weakness and sadness. That's all true. But living a life where you're not happy, let me just say this, that's no one else's fault but yours. Because Jesus says, happy are ye if you do them. This I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Joy is that second fruit. And you know what I believe God does when you get saved? He plants joy inside of you, joy unspeakable and full of glory. And he says, now I want you to work it out. That's why you're to work out your own salvation. Not work for, but work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You know what so many Christians do? They spend half of their Christian life saying, I would be happy if, if I got a bigger house, if I got a better spouse, if I got, you know, uh, uh, kids that obeyed me, if I got this, if I got this. And let me just say right now, some of you will wait until you're dead to be happy. And you'll be happy when you get there, let me tell you. But you ought to enjoy the journey along the way. This is, now listen to me very carefully. I am not preaching a prosperity gospel. You know, I'm not like, well, it's so good to have y'all this morning. God just wants to bless you. I want you to feel blessed. Do you feel blessed? 
I'm not talking about being fake today. I'm not saying that that's how you live your life. What I am saying is this. If the Spirit of God lives inside of you, then there should be an outward manifestation of that joy. It's called having a happy spirit. So I'm going to ask you again, are you happy? Here's a, I read this from church history. As a third century man was anticipating death, he penned these last words to a friend. It's a bad world, an incredibly bad world. Some of you are like, yeah, six bucks a, a gallon for gas. Ain't no baby formula anywhere. You know, the president's talking about Operation Baby Formula or something like that. Did you ever think we'd have to have the military flying formula from anywhere? I mean, you, you look at it and go, oh, it's a bad world. Can I just say this? It's always been a bad world. This person in the early church, the third century, said, it's an incredibly bad world. But I have discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasures of this sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people are the Christians, and I am one of them. That's good stuff. Happiness in this world comes, and it comes incidentally. When you try to make it the object of pursuit, it's like a wild goose chase. When you go, I just want to be happy, I just want to be happy, I just want to be happy. But if you make your object an eternal being that has never changed, he is and he, uh, he, he was and he is and he is to come. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending. All right, he changeth not. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. When you make him that object of of your pursuit, you know what you find? You find happiness. Jesus said this. uh, You're close. Look at John 15, verse number 11. John 15, verse number 11. These things have I spoken unto you. God has given you 66 books bound in one book. He's given you a lot. And he's given you these things for a reason. I have spoken to you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be teetering on the brink of existence. That's how some Christians live their life. That your joy might be what? Full. I look at John chapter number 17. John chapter 17. John 17, verse number 13. John 17, verse number 13. And now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world that they, this is Jesus talking to God the Father about the disciples, that's you. That they, that my disciples, might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. You know what he wants? He wants his joy lived out in your life. How about the old song? Happiness is to know the Savior, living a life within his Savior, having a change in my behavior, happiness is the Lord. Are you happy? Are you happy? Happiness is to be forgiven, living a life that's worth the living, taking a trip that leads to heaven. Happiness is the Lord. Are you happy? You ought to be happy. So let me ask you this. Why is it that 20% or less of Americans claim to be happy? And I guarantee you there are some Christians in that survey. You know why they're not? We have more abundance, more technology, longer lives, more job opportunities. And we're not happier. Why is that? Because happiness is not found in those things. Jesus was about to, in John 13, listen to me, when he's talking to his disciples about being happy, 
he was about to experience the ultimate rejection from the political world, from the religious groups, from the culture, from the crowd, from his own friends. He was about to be rejected by everything and everybody. And yet he's worried about their happiness. And you know what he says? I want my joy fulfilled in you. You have a man that's about to experience the ultimate rejection from basically everybody. And he's worried about your happiness. And he says, I've got joy. So why don't you? Oh, it's just not my personality to express emotion. <laughs> I'm going to call baloney on that. Right. All right? You know why? Because some of you that say, I just don't express emotion. What about when your spouse pushes that button? You're not an emotionless zombie. There's a lot of emotion and sometimes a lot of passion. Or if you're Latino, pasión, which is way worse, I think. I'm not sure. Happy are ye if you do them. Can I say this? Happiness is conditional. It is. I'll come back to that thought, but I, I just want to say this in, in general. It's a sad thing to watch believers who profess Jesus as their Savior to live their lives as victims. God, God does not want you living your life as a victim today. He, he wants you to understand you can't have, listen to me, not just eternal life, but abundant life. Now, abundant life doesn't mean I got a Rolls Royce, I got money in the bank, I'm, I never get sick. I, that is not what I'm saying, all right? But I am saying this, you don't choose everything that happens in life. We get that. But you absolutely choose how you respond. And you choose your attitude and you choose your spirit and you choose how you treat other people and you choose how you respond to God. And some of you lack happiness because you're thinking the circumstances are supposed to gift that to you. That's not how life works. As long as you live that way, you'll be a victim. Let me say this. Number one, happiness is for the believer. Happiness, point number one, is for the believer. He says, happy are ye. He didn't say happy is the world. He said, happy are ye. Look at John chapter number 20. John chapter 20. You know what I think the problem is? You're expecting happiness to come from a different direction. John chapter number 20. John chapter 20. You say, what's happened? Oh, the disciples just watched their Savior, their Master, uh, betrayed. One of them betrayed Him and He hung Himself. Talk about morale. If we had a church of 12 people and one of us caused a church split and betrayed the whole group and said in 2020, there's a bunch of infected COVID people up in that church. Go get them, government, all right? Or something crazy like that. If someone had done that and messed our church up, and then after that, that person goes out and hangs themselves, when we gather again, we might be a little low on morale. You with me? This was not, from from a human standpoint, the height of what you would expect to be the height of morale for the disciples. No, not even close. Their, their Savior, as far as they know, is, is dead. One of them that's in the group denied the Lord even was his master. One of them betrayed him and hung himself. And now they're going, what do we do now? Would you say that that's probably a point in life where you might feel a little low? Look at John 20. Look at you at verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, Sunday evening, the same day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, but in the evening when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear 
of the Jews came Jesus and stood in the midst. Do you know why it's so important what we're doing right now? Because we're basically saying where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is in the midst of them. We want the Lord to show up today. That's our desire. And you know what happens? He shows up. The doors were shut because they were there, because they were afraid. Didn't anyone know they were there? Look at verse 20. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Look what the latter part of verse 20 says. When were they glad? What was the event that made them glad? It was seeing the Lord. Do you know what I'm trying to get at here? The reason why some Christians aren't happy, the reason why maybe you're not happy, is you forget whose presence you are in. And you forget who's present, who's with you present right now. You forget that you're in the presence of God and that Jesus Christ is... You know what he's saying there? Look, if God is with you, if Jesus Christ, the Son of God, dwells inside of you, there should be some gladness. When you see what God has done and you see God in the midst, life is not perfect, clearly not. But when he's there and you know he's there because you're saved, there should be some gladness in your life. Far too many Christians forget whose presence there. And can I point out his presence brought joy, not the circumstances. Everything about that circumstance said they're the losers. They're meeting privately, secretly with the doors shut. They're afraid. And one-twelfth of their church, or one, yeah, one-twelfth of their membership hung himself. Uh, one-twelfth of their membership denied them. And the rest of them were chickens and ran for their lives. Are you with me? Not exactly super Christian. You know what they did? They responded maybe like we do sometimes. When God is doing something that we don't understand or that we don't like, and we think it's everybody else's fault, and we look at what everybody else is doing wrong, and in the midst of all of that, you know what they could have done? Peter, you, de- you denied him, and, and well, yeah, you ran too. You know what they were? They were all afraid, and their morale was low, but when Jesus showed up in the midst of them, do you know what happened? They realized that, you know what? We have a reason to have joy again. Why? Because he's in the midst with us, and you walk around with him. Why aren't you happy? Can I ask you, are you happy today? Look at 1 Kings chapter 10. Can I just say, if there's a group of people on this earth who should be happier than anybody else, it's us. It's us. 1 Kings chapter number 10. You say, where are we going in the Old Testament? We're going to learn about the kingdom of Solomon. And uh, there was a queen that that heard about Solomon's greatness and Solomon's kingdom. and, And she just wanted to see it for herself, so she did. You know what I think that's a great picture of? I think it's a great picture of lost people coming to church because they just want to see what it's all about. And when they see that there's joy in your life and they see that you're actually happy in spite of the circumstances, I got a flat tire, I got this problem at work, I got this problem at home, I wasn't expecting that bill, I got this stress from over here. But you know what? Those are temporary circumstances and those things are always going to be there. When it's not one thing, it'll be another. Listen, you buy things that are meant to break. Do you know that? And so they break down, and then you got to buy new things, and you get mad about it. It ruins your entire day. And I get it. I've been there, but I'm telling you right now, at some point, you got to go, you know what? That's temporary. My eternal life is forever. And Jesus Christ dwells inside of me. Man, I should be glad. You know what it might do? It might attract some people to come and check out what's going on here. This is what happened in the Old Testament with the Queen of Sheba when she came to see all of Solomon's fame. Look at verse 1 of 1 Kings chapter 10. And when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. You see, it wasn't about Solomon as much as it was God in Solomon's life. Are you hearing me? 
It was about God in Solomon's life. It's about God working in your life. Look at verse 2. She came to Jerusalem with a great, a very great train with camels that bear spices, very much gold and precious stones. And verse 3, Solomon told her all her questions. It was not anything hid from the king, which he told her not. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all of Solomon's wisdom and the house that he had built for God, by the way, and the meat of his table and the sitting of his servants, I want you to get this, and the attendance of his ministers and their apparel and his cupbearers and his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. And he, she said to the king, it was a true report that I heard in mine own land of thy acts and of thy wisdom. Howbeit I believed not the words until I came and mine eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Thy wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame which I heard. I want you to notice verse 8. Happy, happy are thy men. Happy are these thy servants which stand continually before thee and that hear thy wisdom. And look at what she says in verse 9. Blessed be the Lord thy God. Do you think that maybe looking and seeing people who were serving and servants like Jesus Christ in John 13 and seeing the joy that they had to serve their king knowing that it was really service to God that that showed her, man, your God's different than my God. Man, your religion is different than my religion. Whatever you've got is real. It's not like what I've got. I want some of that. Can I say this, guys? That is what should be evident in our lives. It ought to attract people that are looking for real joy and looking and inquiring on, man, what is all that, that Christian life stuff about? And it's not that we live perfect lives. It's not that we never have a hard day. But in the midst of all of that, they can look at us and see real happiness because of whose presence we are in. The Bible says, that will show me the path of life is in thy presence, listen to me, in thy presence is fullness of joy. Can you say that? Are you saved? You know what that means? God's presence goes with you wherever you go. So let me ask you, are you happy? I'm going to pretend that I'm in Bible school. The year is 2000. It's my last year of Bible school, and I'm sitting in my chair, and right next to me, there's this other chair. You know what? I'm just going to come down here without breaking anything. This is me in Bible school. The year is 2000. Here is my wife. Hey. And we're married. Yeah. I should point that out. We just got married. Hey, baby, how are you? Yeah? No. No, no, I love you. No, stop it. I love you. You know, it's just like, okay, we know we're in public, but how close can I get without sitting in her lap? Because I'm married and I waited a long time for this. 19 years of them saying, don't touch until you're married. We're married. So I'm going to enjoy myself. And then Mrs. Johnson, who some of you don't have the privilege of knowing, comes up behind me. <clears throat> yes, Mrs. Johnson? Um, Brother Dominguez, I know that you're married. We know you guys got married. But the 80 students behind you are not. <laughs> so if you'd be so kind as to not be all over each other during <laughs> class... And I was like, y- yes, 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 Miss, Miss Johnson, yes, Miss Johnson, you got it. <laughs> I 
You, you, know what the, you know what the funny reality is? I'm not lying. I had no idea there were 80 other people in the room. I was in love with my wife. I put the ring on. You, got, you love, you got to put a ring on the finger. I put a ring on the finger. I did it right, and I was like, bless God, she's mine now. I had no idea there were 80 people. I know it wasn't proper, and I learned that, you know, I was stupid, young, and all that. Figured it out. And, you know, 20-some years later, it's kind of more like this. I'm on my side of the bed. Your feet are cold. Get off of me. In the name of Jesus, that's your side of the bed. This is mine. Same people. You with me? You know, you know, you know what happens? Time happens. And you've been, you begin to take for granted whose presence you're in. And when you first got saved, all you want to talk about was Jesus and how good he was to you. Brother Craig, whatever you did, and she smacked you, you probably deserved it. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I, saw, I was an eyewitness. The camera didn't get it, but I got it. Smack! And he's just smiling like I didn't do anything. <laughs> oh. Do you remember when you first got saved, though? How all you want to do is talk about Jesus, and you're just in love with him. And then time goes by. And you start saying, well, those other disciples. Yeah. That preacher. Right. You don't know what I'm going through. It's like, well, is he still there? He's still sitting there. If you've moved, that's on you. The old illustration bears repeating of the old country farmer driving down the road and when him and his wife first got married, remember those, those bench seats in the truck? And she's just about in his lap, you know, and she's cuddled up, and he's got his arm around there, you know. Listen to, should have been a cowboy, should have rope and run. You know, he's got his little hay sticking out of his mouth, you know, that's how you picture it. And 20 years later, she's on the other side of the truck looking out the window going, whatever happened to us? And without missing a beat, he goes, baby, I ain't moved. Can I say this? The Lord hasn't moved. If you're not happy, you better check why you're not happy. Might it be that you forget whose presence you're in? Because happiness is for the Christian. Joseph, the Bible says he was found in prison, was he not? The Bible says before he was in prison, he was in Potiphar's house, and the Bible says, and the Lord was with Joseph. Because and... It was showing the continuation of his prosperity and of God blessing him and exalting him. It says, and the Lord was with Joseph. But later in that chapter, after going through some hardship, after uh, rejecting this woman coming on to him, and he said it wasn't right and I can't do this in the sight of God, and he runs for his life, he gets thrown into prison. And later on in the chapter it says, but the Lord was with Joseph. No differently than the Lord was with Joseph when he was at the height of his power in Potiphar's house. He was with Joseph when he was in the lowest of his low in that prison. It doesn't matter where you're at. God is still with you. So let me ask you, why aren't you happy if you're a Christian? Can I say this? Secondly, happiness. Go to John chapter 13 again. Happiness is a choice. Well, preacher, I'm going to be very careful with what I'm about to say. This is not a dissertation on every type of depression that can exist in life. I'm not trying to say that. I'm, ta- I'm just speaking about general life and about how you live your life. 
So let me just say this. From a general standpoint, most people are not happy, listen to me, because of their choices. One of them being the choice to be happy. (laughs) Do you realize everything could be going wrong in your life and you could still choose to be happy? John chapter 13, look at verse 17. Happy are ye, what's the next word? You know what that tells me? There's conditions on happiness. We tell our kids you can earn this much money a week, but here's what it is. If you don't talk back, if you do your chores and you do them right and everything's picked up and you don't squabble between each other and you finish your assignments from school and you do this and you do this, and you, do you know, but basically if this, then this. Listen, you being a part of my family will never change, right? However, you getting a blessing and a reward for me might change depending on your behavior. I'm not obligated to bless you if you're not doing right. So if you want to be happy, can I say this? Learn that it is a choice to do what your father has said to do. Happiness is a choice. How about this? If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You know why he says if? You get to choose. Happy are ye if. You know what that means? You might not be happy. So let me ask you, Christian, are you happy? Let me say this. When you have a choice to make and don't make one, that in and of itself is a choice. You know what some Christians do? They blame the world. They blame the church, other Christians, their parents, their spouse, their, their, the circumstances of their life for why they're not happy. Can I say this? That is morally disingenuous because if you're not happy, you are the one that chooses that. He says, happy are ye if you do these things. I read this, happiness is a choice that requires effort at times. It is. Theodore Roosevelt says, in any moment of decision, the best thing you can do is the right thing. The worst thing you can do is nothing at all. You know, God wants to see in your life the joy that he put in there lived out. Choice, listen to me, implies responsibility. Choice implies responsibility. You are responsible for your happiness. People talk today about being pro-life or pro-choice and all that kind of stuff. And I don't want to get into all the, 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 minute, the minutia of that, but I'll just say this much. There are some real rare exceptions that everyone tries to make the, the, the general case of truth. And well, what if someone was raped or what if this or that? That's the, the smallest percentage in that category. And, and let me just say this much. Uh, if it's okay to do it at nine months pregnant, why is it a problem after they're out of the, out of the womb? And guess what they're saying now? Now they're saying, well, if the mom wants to do it, I literally saw an interview where someone's asking someone else, what if the mom wants to do it after the baby's born? That's the mom's choice. Are you out of your ever-loving mind? Listen, there's a place where your choices impede the free will for other people to exist. Then it's no longer your choice. Do you know what they did? You know what Hitler did in Nazi Germany? He rounded up all those with Down syndrome and killed them. No differently than they did with the Jews. You know why? Because we're going to make a better society. Well, why is that a problem if we're just evolving? Just trying to help the evolutionary process. Just trying to make a better race. Do you see how wicked that is? Now listen, that that choice where you, you need to understand that some of your choices affect the people around you. And you're not just responsible for you. Some of you and many of you are married, have children. You are, if you're not, if you're still single, guess what? You've got a church family. You've got people that are lost watching your life. And your choice to be happy or not affects them. 
Happy are ye if. Can I say this? My happiness should not be based on whether or not we find a church building that fits all of us. I should be happy if we've got to put a little balcony right up there. <laughs> and we'll stick Joe right up there and Steve on. You say, wow, they're the tallest guys. They won't impede anyone seeing behind them, you know. Just a, hey, you, all joking aside, our, our, our happiness shouldn't be dependent on circumstances. Your happiness shouldn't be about what your spouse does all the time. Absolutely, what she does affects me, what I do affects her. I understand that. But at a certain point, I'm going to have to say, look, if you choose to not do the if you choose to not be happy, I'm still going to have the joy of the Lord. Amen. That's a choice that I make, and that's a choice that she has to make as well. You say, why? Because when I get to heaven, I'm not going to stand before Lacey Dominguez. I'm going to stand before Jesus Christ. Give an account of my life and whether, what I did with the time and the life and the, the physical health and the energy and the mental capacity that God gave me. And he said, I gave you all those years and all those moments and you were happy how little. Happiness is a choice. You choose to be something other than happy. And if you choose that based on your circumstances, that's on you. I think most, some of you know the story, but I'm going to tell it again. I think one of the least manly things that can happen in your life is as a man to run out of gas. It's, it's like, you know, it's like the ultimate walk of shame when you got that gas can, you know? And everyone looks at you and they're like, oh, you're one of those, huh? And one time, I'll say this much, with gas being like 50 bucks a gallon right now, you know, every time we take a trip with the horses in the back, man, horses, they're just, it's just, they'd be, they're good for glue. Okay, all right. You say what? They're, you know what they do? They eat hay. And then they literally eat money and poop it out. They say you can have horses, you can have money, but you can't have both. I've got little girls and little boys, so I choose horses because I love them. <laughs> One day, we were coming back from a horse show, and my wife asked me before we left, she goes, is there enough gas in the tank? <laughs> I know you don't know these things. <laughs> There's an eighth of a tank left. We're, we're good. I know, honey, but it's like really far to that place in Parker, and then we've got to come all the way around... Woman, I have spoken. <laughs> so we get in the truck and we drive to the horse show and they do their thing and win ribbons and awards and all that. And then we drive and we take 470 all the way up and we take 70 over and, and we take 70 going east. And my wife's like, are you sure? And ding, ding, ding. And this is with our, our tank, the Suburban. And I'm like, oh, honey, I, I've done this before. Th this, these things lie to you. They tell you there's like 20 gallons left and there's like 100, you know? And so all, all of a sudden, you know, we're getting off on exit 304, and it's going, boo, 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 boo. And it goes, boo. <laughs> and I'm like, steering wheel is getting hard. <laughs> and she goes, do we run out of gas? I'm like, mm. <laughs> There must be some other mechanical failure on this thing. I'll check it out, baby. You say, what happened? <laughs> we ran out of gas. You know why? Because I kept telling myself, I don't need to fill up. You know what? Some of you need spiritually, you need to fill up. And you're running on fumes and you're not happy because of choices that you're making and you can fill up if you want to. 
I want you to remember the spiritual side of that, not the part that I forgot to get gas. <laughs> Thirdly, can I say this? Happiness is the result of obedience. Happiness is the result of obedience. You know why some of you aren't happy? You're not obeying what God said. I think one of the worst things in the world is to know what God said and not obey it. The two of the most miserable people in the world, listen to me, are a lost person under conviction of the Holy Spirit that won't get saved. They know they're lost. They're, they're, they're not sure about their eternal life. They're not sure where they're going to spend eternity. The Holy Spirit is saying, you need to get saved, you need to get saved, you need to get saved. And they keep putting them off and pushing them away and pushing them away and hoping that that sense gets better. And you know what that makes? That makes for a miserable person. You know the other most miserable person, miserable person I know in this world is a Christian that knows what to do. They know what God has shown them and they won't do it. Happy are ye if you know them, if ye do them. You know what that means? There's a matter of obedience on your part. Uh, Listen, over there in the book of Psalms, it says, Blessed is the man whose strength is in in whose heart are the ways of them, who passing through the valley of Baca make it a well. You know what that means? They were going through a valley in the desert where there is no life and there is no sustenance. And you know what they said? We choose not to die here. We choose not to make this our legacy. We're going to dig until we find water. And that's what a believer does when they're obeying God. God, I know what the circumstances dictate in my life. I know what's going on. But I'm going to dig because you said to dig. And I'm going to find life. And I'm going to give it out to those around me. And I'm going to have joy in this desert. But can I say this? It's a matter of obedience. Some people aren't happy because they know what the right thing is. They're just not, not doing it. Can I, can I point out, look at John 13. Look at verse 17. Here's where a lot of Christians stop. Listen to me very carefully. Because this is where maybe some of you are hung up. You get into a church where you learn the Bible and you start learning a lot of things. And you start knowing a lot of things. But knowing things and doing them are two different things. I knew I was risking the gas tank. And I knew deep down it would have been smart to get gas the night before. I chose not to. It's not just a matter of knowing what's right. It's a matter of doing that which is right. Well, listen, it's almost like the new birth. That which is born of flesh is flesh. You've got to be born once to be born twice. Amen? Common sense there. We get that. So in order for you to do the right thing, you've got to know what it is, clearly. But let me say this. Knowing what is right and doing what is right, not synonymous all the time. Can I ask you a question? What is the Lord showing you that you need to be doing right now that you're not and it's making you unhappy? You know what a kid can do when their father gives them instruction and then the kid doesn't do it and the kid's miserable because they know that what's coming? You know what they can do? They can blame dad and go, well, you just made it too hard on me. No, I asked you to do this. You chose not to do it. And now you're miserable because you know what's coming. And now you're barking at your siblings and get yelling at them and chewing their face off because they said, hey, how you doing? <laughs> like, what's your problem? You know what your problem is? You've been told to do something. You don't want to do it. You're being disobedient. Now you're miserable. Now you're taking it out on other people. I'm going to be honest with you. When we started our church, it wasn't, everything wasn't a happy moment. I remember getting up at 5 in the morning and taking the bench seat out of the minivan and putting the hymnals and the Bibles in, driving to the, the old church place, setting everything up, picking up the diapers and the beer bottles from the quinceañeras the night before. <laughs> Anybody remember the old building? Oh, yeah. All right. And then clean all that up, setting everything up, driving home, putting the, van, the seat back in the van, getting the kids in there, driving over to church, and then no one comes. 
You think I was like, praise the Lord for full salvation. God is still upon his throne. No, but I'll tell you this. I'll tell you what I could not afford to do. I could not afford to go to my kids. Why are we even doing this? You know what that would have done to them? It would have crushed them. And you know what happens oftentimes? You're not happy with how things are going, and you just go, and then you go, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? How about this? Learn from that, because the circumstance does not get better with your lack of happiness. Do you know what it takes? It takes going, yep, no one was here this week. Maybe next week. Maybe next week. Maybe next week. And then someone comes, and you run up to them and go, hi, where have you been? What's your social security number? Uh, how are you saved? Um, do you want to join our church? How many kids do you have? Oh, slow down, slow down. <laughs> They're just a human being that walked in the door and like, oh, I was looking for a bathroom. <laughs> you laugh about it now. These things happened. You know what you had to learn to do? Be happy. I had a choice, and it wasn't that I always wanted to be happy, but I can tell you this, it would have done nothing for our church. It would have done nothing for them, for me to go. Now, I know, men don't do that. No, here's what we do. Babe, are you okay? I'm fine. Just tired of preaching to myself. You're like a Napoleon Dynamite head thing over there. I'm just not happy. Are you happy? You know, the reason why some of you aren't happy because you're not obedient. The Bible says not to covet, and you're coveting. You covet someone's wife. You covet someone's husband. You covet someone's house. You covet their job. You covet their whatever. Ahab was envious of Naboth's vineyard. And you know what Ahab did? Like a little baby. Went home, lied down in his bed, and he didn't think like didn't took this stone. His wife goes, honey, what is wrong? You're the king. You shouldn't take this abuse and whatever you want, you get. And you tell mama what's wrong and I'll get it for you. <laughs> That's why I tell you moms, don't be a wuss when it comes to raising boys because if you, are, uh, 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 you let them walk all over you, they're going to do it to their wife someday. Amen. Young men are made to dominate, so if you don't put them in their place, and I love you boys to death. He's like, yes, I know you do, dad. <laughs> But if you don't teach them that there's an authority structure, they will run over everything. And you know what Ahab was doing? He was running over everyone's life. But he's manipulative about it. He wasn't happy. Why wasn't he happy? Because he has the entire kingdom, but there's this one piece of land that he doesn't have. You've got jobs. You've got a house. You've got a family. You've got a church. You've got a Bible. You have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Why aren't you happy? I'll tell you why you're not. Because you covet sometimes. And God says, stop it. Oh, I just wish I could get over how I feel about this. You can. Stop it. <laughs> just say, I'm not going to do that anymore. Amen. You say, oh, no, it's more complicated than that. Show me in Scripture where it is. Right. You know what? Honestly, guys, I, I preacher, uh, pa- Pastor Tim Habman, he preached at this meeting that I was at, and he talked about this, and he, he said, man, for years, and it's true. I, I'll attest to this. He was just, I mean, he's always going to be a snarky guy. He's born snarky, he'll die snarky. That's okay. God uses his snarkiness to help others. Truly, true story. But for years, he struggled with anger. And it was kind of interesting to sit there and hear a preacher talk openly from everybody else going, I had a problem 
with anger. And one day I was driving out in the mountains by myself, and I was listening to a message because someone told me I had to listen to this message. He was so good. And the Lord just started beating me down and saying, why are you so angry? What, what is it that causes you to have this response? Preacher, born again, Bible-believing, premillennial, missions-minded, independent, fundamental Baptist. When my church doesn't do right, smack them. And when the kids get out of line, just, mm. And when the wife has her own opinion about something, mm. Just follow. <laughs> now listen to me. It didn't change the fact that there was an authority structure and that people should follow it. That's not the point. Hear me. It was his response. He said when he's listening to this message, he pulls over. He just starts weeping, crying buckets. I never asked him what year that was, but I can tell you this. I've known Tim for a number of years. Something changed in Tim's life. He's different. He was already saved. He was already in the ministry. He was already serving God. But there was this, you say, why? Because God, when you get saved, God doesn't take all your character flaws and just get rid of them. He brings them to the surface like the dross in metal, and he goes, you got to scrape it off. And when you scrape it off, I'll come in, and I'll put something better in its place. So why aren't you happy? Is it maybe because you're not obeying what God said? How about this? You living in the past? God told you not to. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. But you don't know, preacher, back in 1978, my wife and I had a conversation. Or my husband and I had a conversation. You ladies remember everything. I think that's kind of a female thing. I don't remember anything. Do you remember what you said? Monday night, September uh, 10th, 2004. I'm like, ah! I don't remember what I said last week or yesterday or five minutes ago. <laughs> Somewhere, she's got a mental journal of everything I've ever done. It's scary, man. You females remember everything. Did you see what she was wearing? I did. Always, always, gentlemen, always say this. I did not notice. <laughs> but some of you are living in the past, and you're not happy. Are you hearing me? You're not happy because God's told you to let it go, let it go. And you're like just holding on to it. Yeah, but I'm holding on to this for a rainy day. So when I need to zing him or zing my kid or zing my pastor, or zing, I'm going to hold on to this. And that bitterness forms. And then what ends up happening is that bitterness kind of creeps up and kind of takes over everything. I've watched, listen to me, I've watched, I've watched Christians for a while, about three decades now. Not as long as some of you have, I understand that. But I've watched Christians. You say, Pastor, aren't you 41? Yeah, but I didn't get saved until I was 13. And I started paying attention around, around the time of like 15 or so. And uh, I've watched Christians for a long time. And I've watched Christians that said, I will die in this church because it's God's church. And then two years later, they're gone. You know why? They got saved in that church. They got baptized in that church. They got discipled in that church. And somewhere along the way, someone, something happened, and they held on to it, and they held on to it, and they held on to it, and they've been living in the past for 20 or 30 years. I know a young man. 
They got saved at a young age, went to the church that I grew up in, recently reached out to me, and I started talking with him, and thank God he's in church again. He's gotten right with God again. But you know, he said, man, I just came back to the Lord in the last six months, 25 or so years of life, gone, bitter with Christians. Are you living in the past? Are you not happy? How about a lack of stability? You're like Reuben, thou shalt not excel. And God tells you, you need to stabilize this part of your life. Oh God, I just kind of want to go here, I want to be here, I want to be here. And you're, you're not happy. And you're wondering why God isn't making you happy. That's not how it works. God's going, look, I want you to be stable. Stay put for a moment in your life. How about the Lord? And he says to walk in the old paths. Yeah, but I want to walk in the new one. And I say God doesn't need you blazing a new trail. Just walk in the path he already set for you. You know what Israel said to God in Jeremiah when he says that uh, I want you to walk in the old paths? They said, we will not walk therein. And they lost their joy. Let me say this. Lastly, happiness requires a change. Look at Luke chapter 22. Luke 22. You know what happy people do? They talk about why they're happy. Nothing deep theologically there. Just an observation from life. When you enjoy a meal at a restaurant, don't you talk about that? Sure. Oh, the service was so good. The smell of that steak. Shh. They brought me my fajitas, and you can just see the, you know, popping up. And, oh, man. And they just, I, they got something wrong, and they were so sorry. They gave us the entire meal for free. It was just an amazing experience. You talk about when something is good. You enjoy talking about that. When you're happy about something, you talk about it. Somebody asks you, are you happy with Jesus Christ? Somebody's like, well, yeah, I'm happy with him. I just hate everybody else. <laughs> I think you're missing the point. Luke 22, look if you would at verse 14. When the hour was come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. Where is this? The Last Supper. I'm going to read you a parallel passage to John 13, so you get the whole picture, okay? Look at verse 15. He said to them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide among yourselves. Now go down, if you would, to verse number uh, 21. But behold, the hand of him that betrayed me is with me on the table, and truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined. But woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed, Judas... And they began to inquire among themselves which of them it was that should do this thing. John is the one that says, Lord, who is it? Look at verse 24. In the midst of the Lord feeding them, look what they're doing. Can you imagine the Lord's like, one of you is going to betray me. I got a great idea. Let's talk about who's the greatest right now. Because I know it ain't me. So let's talk. Guys, we've been debating this for a couple years, like three and a half years now. Lord, which one of us? And I was like, are you kidding me? I'm about to die. I'm about to shed my blood for your sins. I'm, I'm, I'm showing you. And this, this is the backdrop to Jesus Christ pushing away from the table and going, you guys don't get it. And then they shut up. It was like, oh. I think he's saying none of us are the greatest. 
I think he's saying maybe he's the right, maybe he's the greatest. Maybe that's what we're missing. You getting the picture? So in human relationships, it works this way. Who's right? You want to know how selfish you are? Get married. Not, not now. Like 20 years from now. You want to know how selfish you are after that? Have a child. Right? And those human relationships will cause you to go, yeah, but I'm right. And I am the greatest. You know what? Muhammad Ali said that. I don't say this to, to be mean. Great boxer. I'm not taking anything away from his boxing. I mean, fascinating career. Did you know they went to interview him and, and the man that went to interview him went into his, his place where he had all his trophies and awards and it was in this barn and cobwebs and dust covered everything. And he sat down with Muhammad Ali and he's doing this and he could barely get his words out properly because all the blows to the head, you know how that stuff works. And here's the man with the awards and cobwebs that said, I am the greatest. You know what Jesus Christ did? He showed who the greatest was by serving others. And he said, my joy will be lived out in your life when you learn to change how you think. Look at the book of Acts with me. We're just about done. Acts. Pick any place in Acts, it's all good. I'm just kidding. Look at Acts chapter 26. Acts 26. You need to change how you think. Happiness requires a change. You know how you need to change? First and foremost, change how you think. You know you can do that. You're in control. You're in the driver's seat of that. Listen, I get sometimes you have dreams at night, and you don't control that all the time. I get all that. And you wake up in the morning and go, man, why was I riding a purple elephant flying through? Like, Lord, what is it? It means nothing. It means you ate pizza at 11 o'clock at night, all right? I'm not saying that you control. But in the daytime, when you're conscious, you control what you think about. You cannot stand before God and go, oh, I just had this overwhelming thought and I just couldn't get rid of it. It was like it got there and I maybe not the one that put it there, but once it was there, I started entertaining it. I started inviting it back as a guest and I started thinking a certain way and then I lost my joy. Look at Acts 26 verse 1. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, thou art permitted to speak for thyself. And Paul stretched forth the hand and answered for himself. And this is what he says in verse 2. It's classic. You should mark this in your Bible. He says these four words. I think myself happy. He's standing in chains. And he says, I think myself happy. Why? You know why? Because you can determine your happiness by how you think. What are you choosing to think about? Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. That's a command for your life, Christian. What are you thinking about? Does it, is there maybe a connection between how you're thinking and your happiness? Change how you think. And I say this, change your spirit. You know what Brother Havman said about his situation with anger? You know what he said? Someone asked me, how did, I, how did I do it? I stopped. You go, oh, no, no, it has to be more. Some of you want it to be more complicated so you can keep doing what you want to do. You know what you need to do? You know what you tell your kids? Stop it. You don't get out a 30-page dissertation 
on, on how they should. You get them and say, hey, what you're doing is wrong. You need to do this instead. And here's why you need to do it. And I'm going to tell you, if you think this way, it'll help you do the right thing. So guess what? Change what you think about and then change your spirit. Jesus says, you know not what manner of spirit you're of. Sometimes we come to church. Some Christians come to church sometimes. It's kind of like everything's gotten under their skin. And they come to church like that. And someone says hi and they want to bite their head off. You know what the problem is? Your spirit. And you can change that. And you can change your actions. I'm going to tell on myself for a little bit. Some of you are like, ooh, goody. Because <laughs> you yell at us all the time. I want to hear about you. For 12 years, I've had a schedule that's pretty weird. 13 almost now. 12 years as a church. Working full time. Business grows. Church grows. Not complaining, pointing out a truth, a reality. And for years, I said, something's got to change. Something's got to change. Something's got to change. I'm going to, I don't know if I can do everything at one time. And you know what I had to change? Maybe something in my schedule that I had control of. So you know what I did? I changed something so that my schedule was a little bit better. Do you know why? Because the Lord convicted me and said, you know what the problem is? You're stubborn. And you don't want to let go of something. And you learn to trust me with it. And if you would do this, you'd have more joy. I was, I was biting my kids' heads off on Saturdays. Leave me alone, I'm studying. Leave me alone. My kids, my children. You say, oh, but preacher, you're preparing for the ministry. And I know there's a balance to all of this. But what I was doing was not right. I've had to apologize to them and to my wife and to say, man, I'm sorry that for years I was living under this bondage of stress that was nobody else's fault but mine. When God showed me there's a way to deal with this differently, you know who had to make a change? Not them, it was me. Christian, can I say this? Happiness requires a change sometimes. And it doesn't always mean the thing that you have to do is easy, but if it's right and it's God leading you to do it, and he'll close with this thought, happiness requires a change of purpose. You see, back in Luke 9, you don't have to turn there, there was a reasoning among them which of them should be the greatest, and 13 chapters later, they're still arguing about it. Three and a half years later, after the ministry of Jesus Christ, raising the dead, cleansing the lepers, healing the sick, they're still arguing about who's the greatest. You know what hadn't happened yet? Their purpose hadn't changed. And it wasn't until their master died. And they went through what they went through that they realized, you know what? This isn't all about me. This isn't all about us. It's about him. And when their purpose changed, you know what happens in the book of Acts? They count themselves glad to have suffered shame for his name. How do you go from being the guys that are denying him and the guys that are doubting him and the guys that are fleeing from him and the guys that are reasoning among themselves who is the greatest to, be, to being the ones that stand up and preach and 3,000 get saved? Their purpose changed. You know why some of you aren't happy? You still think it's all about you. Teenagers, I'm not trying to pick on you, but you live in a generation where it truly is all about the selfie generation. You're going to have to fight that spirit in your life to be able to have real joy and real happiness. You're going to have to say, it's not about me. It's about someone far greater than me. And because of him and the work he's done in my life, I choose to be happy. So I'll stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, I pray you bless this time of invitation. I know we've gone long, but God, I pray that you would move. I pray the Holy Spirit would have liberty. 
And I pray that, Lord, anyone that desires, Lord, to restore happiness, Lord, to find it, to, to grow in it, to change their purpose, to change their thinking, Lord, to change their actions, God, would you move in this place? And Lord, we're stubborn people. I'm a stubborn man. I'm thankful when the Holy Spirit bugs me. <laughs> I'm thankful when the Holy Spirit convicts me. I need it. And God, I pray that you move in this place. And we're thankful for these kids that are tenderhearted and they come. I, I pray for us older folks as well, God, that we might move, that we might change, that we might be in awe in your presence and have gladness in your presence. And Lord, that we might remember that it's about you and it's not about us. And God, we remember it's a choice. Lord, help us, Lord, to, to have the right kind of thinking so that we do follow through and we're obedient. Christian, if you're not happy right now, can I encourage you to move and say, God, I want to examine myself. Lord, I want to see why I'm not happy. Lord, help me not to blame anybody else. God, would you show me what area of my life, Lord, is it that I'm just not choosing it because of my thoughts? Is it because I'm holding on to some things from the past? God, would you, would you help me, Lord, to live out your joy as a believer in this life? With every head bowed and every eye closed. Let me ask this question. Christian, if someone were to look at your life, would they say, there goes a happy believer? And if so, praise God. That's I'm, If you're there, hallelujah. If you're not, can I just say it like this? God wants you to be there, and you can be there. So what's holding you back? What's keeping you from an abundant Christian life? Now, if you're here and you've never been born again, you've never been saved, I realize I've talked all morning to Christians. But if you've never been born again, see, see Christians have the, the joy within. They just got to let it out. Real joy. Stuff gets in the way. But if you've never been born again, can I ask you what would keep you from that eternal joy, that eternal bliss? If you're here and you've never been born again, can we encourage, I'm going to encourage you. If you don't know what it means to be saved, talk to me. Talk to someone after church that can open up a Bible and show you what it means to be a born-again believer. You will not regret taking that decision. Greatest decision of your life. And then from there, you can live out your happiness so that the world can see that there's a real joy on the inside. Happy people talk about why they're happy. When you leave today, can I encourage you to tell someone about Jesus Christ?
Happiness is for you believers. Happiness is your choice. Happiness requires obedience. And if you want lasting happiness, sometimes we got to change some things. Amen. Glad you made it today. Hope the Lord spoke to you in uh, five minutes. All right. Not in five, not in five Latino Puerto Rican minutes. All right. That may be an hour. That could be never. I don't know. But in five military minutes, if you're in vacation Bible school and you hope to be helping with that, please uh, stay here in the church, in the sanctuary. And we're going to go ahead and kick off that meeting with some music. And after that, I have some opening comments and turn it back over to Brother Craig. So let's go ahead and be dismissed in a word of prayer. And uh, let's see back there. Brother Brad, you'd ask God's blessing on our departure. We hope to see you back here Wednesday night, 7 o'clock for our study on the results of a spirit-led life. And I hope that you uh, are getting something out of that so far. We've just been a couple weeks into it. All right. And we started in Sunday school. If you didn't make it to Sunday school, go back, watch the lesson. And we we encourage you to come to it next week. We started the Gospel of John. And uh, you kids, this is your last DBC night. Brother Craig, how many years have we done this, DBC? Is it four years now? Four. Four. And it's grown, and it's been awesome to watch our kids grow with it. And parents that bring your kids every Wednesday night, thank you for doing that. that. You don't have to do that. You got busy schedules. I get it. But, man, it makes a difference in their lives. So thank you. Uh, let's be dismissed in a word of prayer. Brother Brad, if you would.